Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, guys, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now, we have, for a little over a year now, we have been looking at the Gospel of John. We're trying to work our way through it, and our overall purpose is to get to know Jesus. Okay? Everybody knows that. So what we've been doing is we've been taking John section by section. So we spent our time in the first two sections. We're now in the third section, which is his teaching to his disciples about how you and I are to function right now while he's away. So that's the third section. We're going to wrap that third section up today. Because next week we're going to get into chapter 18 to the end of the, of the uh, gospel. And that's the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So this is what everything is moving to. We're going to start seeing that next week. So right now, we want to wrap up this third section. And I think this is very powerful because in this third section, the last thing he wraps up with is his prayer. He prays for his disciples. But we're also going to see that he just didn't pray for his disciples. He prayed for someone else too. Now, why is that important? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you ever get to the place where when you are in the midst of it, that you're wondering, does God care? Where is he? So I'll give you an example. Okay, so this just happened uh, two weeks ago. Okay, is it two weeks now? Yeah, it's been two weeks. Um, so we have been wanting to buy a third vehicle. So we saved up our money. We're going to buy a third vehicle. And uh, so we found a vehicle. We put money down on a vehicle on Tuesday. We went up to Spitzer and in St. Drove all the way to St. Mary's, found this vehicle. We liked it, put the money down. And I'm like, okay, we got a third vehicle. Everything's going to work out now. Okay, because we had, we had to get this thing going. So the next day on Wednesday, I'm at home. Lori and our daughter Madison are down in Indiana County at the farm, family farm for something. I'm at home. I'm sitting in my chair that I love, and I'm reading. I'm reading a book called Deeper that I'm involved in a study with on Thursday mornings. And so I'm reading the book, and the phone rings. And let's say this is the phone. It's not. I picked up the phone. I was like, hey, what's going on? Hey, Dad. Uh, Mom just hit a deer. And my response is, yeah, you're joking, right? That's not a funny joke. We're not joking. We, we just hit this big-bodied buck. Small rack, she had to tell me, small rack, but a big buck. And uh, I was crushed because we just bought another vehicle the day before. We're going to pick it up. We're going to drive it down to South Carolina to visit Sawyer Inn. And we were counting on this vehicle because it was our nicest, other nicest vehicle that we have. And this deer came out of nowhere and smacked our car. And I'm thinking, 
I got to quit telling the people life happens because that's what's happening right now. Life happens, right? Okay. So guess what? I immediately am crushed in my spirit and I'm like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Are you there? Do you care? Those are normal reactions. You ever been there, folks? Normal reactions. You ever have those reactions? It worked out, okay? So I'll tell you the other part of the story later, not a part of the message. Just letting you know, we have those moments when we wonder, do you care? Are you there? So then I'm in the Word this week, finishing up chapter 17, preparing the message, and it's right there. It's right there in the passage that in verse 20, here's what he says in verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word. And it dawned on me that on the night in which he was betrayed, on the night before he would go through all the trials that he would go through, on the night before he would be beaten mercilessly, would be crucified on the cross, and he would die there, he prayed for us. For you. For me. And that I was on his mind. And so the realization is, so you're wondering if God knows about the car being smacked by a deer? He knows. Because he was thinking about you before you were ever even born. And that's what's awesome. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see another dimension of Jesus. Because he prays for you and I. And we need to allow that to sink in. He was thinking about you before you were born. 2,000 years before you were born. And he was praying for you. And, and let's be honest, prayer is probably the most intimate exercise that anybody can do for another person, right? Is to pray for them to bring them before God and lift up their needs. And that's what he was doing for us. So let's look at this together. We're going to look at verse 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 26. I already read it to you, but I'll read it again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one I in them you and me that they may be perfect in that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me 
And I have loved them, and you have loved them. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love which you have loved me with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this section of prayer where he's praying for you and I, and we're going to basically divide it into three sections. We're going to see, first of all, that he's thinking of you and I. This is, this is what is amazing to me, that he's thinking of you and I, we're going to see specifically what he's praying for you and I. And this is important that you understand exactly what he's praying for you. Okay, He's not just praying for you because you've got this whatever need here. He's praying for something overall for you. And then we're going to see some concluding thoughts that he gives in his prayer. All right, so first of all, he's thinking of you. So the first thing I want you to notice when we look at verse 20, okay, is that Jesus was thinking beyond the moment of what he was facing. He was thinking beyond the moment. Okay, so think about this. Yes, he's human. And yes, we know from the other Gospels that he's, when he's praying, he's like, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we, we know that he is very much aware that he knows he's going to die on the cross. And he knows that this crisis moment is coming. But he doesn't rest there. He doesn't focus there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you and I, if we know, I know how I am. If I know that I'm going to go into a situation where there's going to be a crisis, all I can think about is what? The crisis. In fact, if I know it way ahead of time, I'm not sleeping the night before. Because all I'm thinking about is the crisis, okay? But here's what I want you to see. Jesus was thinking beyond the moment. He was thinking beyond what he's going to face there. He's thinking about who? You and I. Everybody after that point who would believe. That's you and I. He's thinking about us. You are on his mind. You are important to him. You and I should never forget that. I know the crisis, well, we just had our crisis. I know crises happen and we forget things and we tend to forget that, but we shouldn't. Nothing changes. He loves you. And he's thinking about you. He's thinking about you because he's thinking beyond the moment. And so here's what he does. He prays for every believer who would believe in him. Every believer. Every believer, he prays. And you know what the interesting thing is? We find from John's, John's writings, like when you go to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st John, my little children, I write unto you that you sin not. That's in chapter 2. But if you sin, you have an advocate. It's parakletos, someone who comes alongside, an advocate, who what? Intercedes for you. He's still praying for you. Do you realize that? 
I thought if you allowed that to sink in, he didn't just was, wasn't just praying for you then, for every believer. He's still praying for us right now. And boy, do I need prayer right now, don't you? And he's praying for us. Because he knows what we're going to face. He knows how we're going to respond. He knows what's going to wipe us out. He knows everything. And he prays for us. I mean, he just testified to that to, you know, if you read the Gospels, the other Gospels, you know, he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan is seeking to sift you, but I have prayed for you. On the night in which he was betrayed. Peter, you're going to face a crisis, but I have prayed for you, Peter. Jesus prays for us the same way. You're never alone, folks. Realize that. He's thinking of you. So, okay, so what's he praying for us? What, 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 what is he... Is he thinking of me? How is he praying for me? Because I'll be honest with you, George, I got some things I need him to pray about. I need him to do. I need him to take it beyond just simply praying for me. I need him to act. Well, listen to what he prays about. It's actually something so much greater, so much more that we need to grasp. So let's look at it together. We're going to look at these verses. Look with me at verse 21 through 23. We're going to look at the first point here. Here it is. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave them, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. And what's he saying there, George? Well, here's four things I want you to point out here. Okay, I'm going to point out four things. Here's the first one. He prayed that the believers would be unified as the Father and Son are. He wanted us to be unified. How? Agreeing on politics together? That ain't never going to happen. Rooting for the same professional football team? I can tell you, I've been here 20 years now. I see people walking in with all kinds of shirts. A majority wear the same team, but there are these fringe people. Who are they? They come in with all these other things on. Dallas and whatever. It's not going to be football, is it? I won't even tell you who I root for. It's not the local team, okay? Because I'm scared. It's not any of that. That's not what our unity, and we've been talking about this in our Sunday school. What's our unity? Jesus. But it's more than just the person of Jesus. He wants us to be unified like God the Father and the Son are unified. What's, what does that mean? That they agree together? No. They have a relationship together. They have an intimate love for each other. And so what he's praying for, for all believers in the future, is that they have a unity together that's based in love, just like they have a unified love. 
that we would be united just as they are united. Man, boy, we need that right now. You look at our society right now, I think the one word that describes our society right now is division. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I, I was talking in Sunday school about, you know, I was with people who were all of the same political perspective. Even they weren't unified. They were disagreeing with each other, and they're on the same party. What's going on? This is just the fragmentation of our society. But the church is something supposed to be something so much different than that, right? And the basis of our unity isn't the stuff that's going on and what we think about should be happening about the stuff going on outside. The basis of our unity should be one person only. Who? Jesus. And him. And just as the Father and Son are unified, we are to be unified in a relationship with each other. Here's the second thing he prays for. He prayed that believers would be unified in the Father and the Son. Isn't that just what you just said, George? No. We're to be unified like they're unified, but now he's telling us, you need to be unified. He's praying that you be unified in the Father and Son. Look exactly what he says here. Look at verse 23. Excuse me, verse 21. That they may be one as you, Father, are one in me, are in me, and I in you. But they may also be in us. So he's wanting us not to just be unified with each other. He wants us to be unified with him, with the Godhead. How's that happen? The relationship. Listen. So let me make this point. If you haven't realized this yet, you need to. Christianity is not a worship service. We say that here. Kermansville Christian Church. It's more than a worship service. Okay? It's not a worship service. It's not the one hour, 15 minutes on Sunday that we come together and sing songs together, listen to a message, and then go on with our lives. Christianity is not that. Christianity is not knowing a certain set of doctrine. Christianity is not carrying out a certain moral code. Christianity is so much more than that. What is Christianity? Christianity is the belief, the faith, that you and I can have a renewed relationship with God because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that relationship could be restored. It's about a relationship. A relationship with each other, which we already see. He's praying for that, that you and I would be one, as they are one. But he's also wanting you and I to be one with them. What does that mean, to be one with them? That we have a relationship with him. So he says things, like in Revelation. Hey, I'm knocking at the door. Let me in, and I will come and dine with you. Dining, food, is what? An intimate thing to do with somebody, right? He wants to have a relationship with you. Let me share, share with you one of the biggest regrets I had, okay? So, I, um, just a few weeks ago, I was up in Canada at a board meeting, and uh, eight miles away, 
12 kilometers, if you're in Canada, eight miles away is the area where I pastored a church for four years. It's the first church I pastored. That was a really hard experience. I was pouring my, myself into it, pouring myself into it, trying to do everything to make that little church plant work. And uh, it doesn't exist to this day. That church doesn't exist anymore. Okay? But I poured myself into it. And I, and I, and I, I have this haunting thought that keeps coming back to me. There were times when I was struggling with all the stuff that was going on there. It was a really hard ministry for Lori and I. Hard ministry for me. And I remember there were times when I sensed the Spirit of God saying to me, Hey, George, I want to spend time with you. Come spend time with me. Come spend time with me. What he meant was, come spend time with him in prayer, reading his word, communing with God. But I'll be honest with you, I was too busy doing ministry. Too busy trying to make it work. Too busy trying to, to pour myself into this church that I was pastoring at that time. Trying to make it work and, and nothing was working. And yet the Spirit of God was saying to me in a still small voice, spend time with me. I'd like to say that I did. But I didn't. And I missed out. Because what God wanted from me wasn't my achievements. What he wanted from me, and this is what Christianity, he wants me. Me. To spend time with him. To bear my soul to him. To talk with him. To wrestle with him about stuff. And that's what he's praying. He's praying that believers would be unified in the Father and Son. Just as they're unified in a relationship, he's praying that you and I have that same relationship with him. And it can be real. It can be honest. He never intended, listen to me, you may want to write this down. He never intended for you to go through life alone. He never intended for you to do this alone. Dude, what do you mean alone, George? Well, you know, I'm married. I'm part of a family. We're close to God. No, no, you can, you can be in the midst of people all around you and still feel alone. You ever been there? You can still feel like nobody understands, nobody cares, nobody understands. And you're, and you're surrounded by people who love you and you still... But he's not telling you that. He's telling you, I'm here, I know. And he was praying for us about this long before we ever were prayed, even thought of. And he prayed that we would be unified in him. A part of that relationship. Why? So here's why, okay? He makes it very clear here. This is so that the world may believe that God the Father sent Jesus. <clears throat> this is so that people will know that God the Father sent Jesus. Now, how's that possible, George? Me having a relationship with Jesus? I mean, I understand that, but how's that supposed to tell other people about Jesus? Uh, yeah, it tells them about Jesus.
So I think back, okay, so I met Lori, Super Bowl party, 1991, so that was 31, 31 years ago. Started dating her in 30 years ago. So when I started dating her, oh man, the world revolved around Lori at that point. You know what it's like when you first meet someone. It's like the world revolves around them. You ever, hopefully the world still revolves But the, there was something different about George because I had met Lori. People were beginning to notice that. Uh, because the relationship affected me. And I think that's the point you and I need to realize is when you are in an intimate relationship, that intimate relationship isn't just between the two of you. It branches out beyond the two of you and it affects people beyond you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. When you have an intimate relationship with the living God, and you are seeing him working in your life, and he's showing you things, he's answering prayers, he is even correcting you, he is, he is there for you, that affects you so that people around you begin to notice, man, there is something different going on there. What's, what's going on? And, and you can then share with them about who? The one who's alive. The Jesus who has affected you. And this is why he wants us to be unified in him. So that the world can what? See Jesus. See that the Father sent him. You think about it. He has already told us earlier he's praying for you and I to be unified with each other. Why? Because remember earlier in, in this third section of John, he said, by this shall they know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. This is important. He's praying for you and I to be unified together in love in Christ. He's praying for us to be unified in our relationship with him. Why? So that the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. This is why he's praying. So here's what else. This is the fourth thing. This is the most powerful thing. This is the thing you and I need to see. Look with me at verse 24 now. Here's what he says. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. All right, you ready? Here it is. Here's what he's praying for you and I. He prayed that we would be with him in all of his glory. Wow. So here he is. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows he's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again. When he's raised again, he's going to ascend to the Father. He's going to be given all of his glory, all of the spectacularness of who he is. And here's what he's saying. I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me and I want them to see me as I really am in all of my glory. So 
So here you are, you're struggling, and you're wondering, does he really want to have anything to do with you? Because you just messed up one more time, or you had these thoughts going through your mind, or this, that, or another is happening in your life, and everything's not kosher, and you're not doing right in this area, and you're wondering, does he really want to have anything to do with you? I'm telling you folks, before you were even born, he prayed that you would be with him later. He wants you to be with him. That's what blows my mind. He was planning on you and I being with him. That's how he prayed for us. He's praying for us to be with him. He wants us to be unified with each other. He wants us to be unified in that relationship with he and the Father. He's praying that we'll be with him. And we'll see him as he really is. Well, what, what do you mean we'll see him as he really is? Well, he's given us a couple of glimpses of us. Go, go to the passages in the gospel about where they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he transfigures before them into all of his glory there on the mountain with those three disciples. We also see it in Revelation chapter 1 when he looks and sees in the midst of the seven golden lampstand one like the Son of God in all of his glory. He is awesome. And here's what it is. He wants you to be with him. He wants me to be with him. Don't you ever think he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. How can you think that? When he prayed even before you were born that you would be with him. That just blows my mind. So here's the concluding thoughts he gives. I'll read them to you one more time. Look with me at verse 25 and 26. He's just going to make these points so that you and I see. Here it is. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. All right, so here's the first point. Jesus points out that the world doesn't know the Father. So everything we've been talking about here, everything we've been talking about, that he, he wants you and I to be unified in Christ with each other. He wants us to be unified in, with them in a relationship. He wants us to be with him. It, but the world, they don't understand it. You go talk like that, like we're, we're going to leave here in a few moments. We're going to be going our own separate ways. Maybe we'll stop at the sheets and we'll tell you to the clerk, hey, do you know Jesus? What? They're going to be like, what? What's the matter with you? Did you get some, are you okay this morning? You know what I'm saying? They're going to be like, what's going on here? That was a weird guy who just walked in here. What? They don't understand. They can't understand. Why? Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world has what? Blinded their eyes to the truth. So he, he flat out is pointing out that the world doesn't know the Father. Period. The world doesn't know God the Father. But here's what he says. Look with me. Verse 25. But I have known you. And these have known you. That you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. And will declare it. That the love which, with which you love me. May be in them. And I in them. Here's the final thing I want you to see. Jesus points out that believers know God because he showed them, showed him to them. 
You and I know God because he showed us God. He said, these know. Why? Because I declared them to you. And they understood. Look, folks, you understand. Because why? He showed you. The Spirit opened your eyes to the truth and the reality. You know that God the Father exists. Why? Because the Spirit's helping you see it. And you're responding to that. So where do we go with this? Here's how it speaks to me. I'm going through life. I'm living my life. And stuff happens. My natural tendency is to immediately think, because here I am a believer. I'm not just a believer, I'm a pastor. But yet I wrestle with this like, God, do you really know what's going on? Do you really care? Do you understand? Do you see what's happening? And you get, and you get frustrated and, and you allow the enemy to lie to you about different things, about questioning who God is and so forth. And, and the reality is, is, here's the reality. I don't need to go there. I don't need to allow my mind to go there. In fact, I need to do what Paul says. I need to take every thought captive. And bring it into submission to who? Jesus. And when I bring it into submission to Jesus, here's what I know about Jesus. Number one, he loves me. Number two, he was thinking about me way before I was even born. And he was praying for me. And he was praying for me that I would be unified with other believers. He was praying for me that I would be unified with him in that relationship. And here's the thing. He wants to be with me. He wants me, when I'm done here in this world, to be with him. So don't even question. Don't even entertain the thought that you're meaningless to him. Don't even entertain the thinking that says you mean nothing to him. Those are all lies. And who's the father of lies, folks? The enemy. So quit listening to them. Because before he went to the cross, he was thinking of us. Why? Because he loved us. Let me pray for you.